Today from the Global Lane, Biden on the border and in Mexico City pledging to stem the migrant surge, returning to Washington and an investigation over his post-Obama years possession of classified documents. I wonder why the press isn't asking the same questions of him as vice president taking classified documents that they were asking President Trump. On the anniversary of his birth, who killed Dr. Martin Luther King? An award-winning veteran journalist says it wasn't James Earl Ray. James Earl Ray was set up as a patsy. He was not the man who pulled the trigger. American college students back on campus, returning to drag shows and anti-Christian bias. For some reason, Christianity is always on the table when it comes to crude jokes and ridicule, which is really disheartening to see. Kneeling in protest or kneeling in prayer? The path that provides miracles and hope. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Back in Washington after meeting with his counterparts from Canada and Mexico, President Biden proposed more federal help at the U.S. southern border. Migration, trade and climate change topped the agenda at the North America Summit in Mexico City. And before that meeting, Mr. Biden made his first visit as president to the U.S.-Mexico border, pledging to send more money and manpower there to help reduce border crossings. Well, CBN News senior Washington correspondent Tara Mergner reports the president wants to slow illegal immigration while making legal immigration more accessible. Meetings involving President Biden, Mexican President Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau come as they all struggle to handle an influx of migrants while also cracking down on human smugglers. The Biden administration is hoping a virtual platform that will serve as a one-stop shop for migrants to find information about legal pathways either in the U.S., Mexico or Canada and the opening of a new resource center in southern Mexico will help. Biden's new plan also includes expelling migrants from Nicaragua, Venezuela, Haiti and Cuba who cross the border illegally. The U.S. will reportedly accept 30,000 migrants a month from those four countries that have a U.S. sponsor. Critics, including Texas Governor Greg Abbott, say it's too little, too late. The president who caused the chaos of the border needed to be here. It just so happens he's two years and about $20 billion too late. On Monday, a bipartisan group of senators also visited El Paso, which deals with 2,500 illegal crossings a day. It's not fair for border communities like El Paso or in my home state in Arizona, like Yuma, to shoulder the burden of the federal government's failure to address this crisis. The group is crafting its own legislative response to the crisis. Some of this is uh, obviously uh, people fleeing violence and, and crime uh, in their home countries. Other people are coming here for uh, more nefarious purposes. Uh, we know the drugs that come across the border are a huge problem. 108,000 Americans died of drug overdoses last year. Past efforts to pass major immigration reform have repeatedly stalled in Congress. Appearing on the CBN News program Faith Nation, Nathan Gonzalez, editor and publisher of Inside Elections, said Biden's plan is unlikely to be well received by Republicans. For Republicans, it's not going to be enough. I mean, we're here at the very beginning of this Congress where Republicans have just taken control of the House of Representatives. And I think Republicans are at the point they have to decide, you know, do they want to make policy or do they want to make a point? And with this initial batch of legislation the Republic, House Republicans are putting forward, I think they want to make a point. And 
if they were already on the same page as President Biden uh, on a huge domestic policy like the border, that would be that would be shocking. So uh, whatever the president comes up with specifically is not going to go far enough for Republicans. So the question is, as we move ahead over the next two years, can they come to some sort of agreement on what everyone agrees is a problem? President Biden returned to a bit of a political mess when he returned from the Mexico City summit. The U.S. Justice Department is reportedly reviewing a number of classified government documents discovered in the president's former office at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. Biden apparently possessed the classified information after he left the office of vice president. President Biden commented just before leaving Mexico. People know I take classified uh, documents and classified information seriously. When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me, secure office in the Capitol, when I, the four years after being vice president, I was a professor at Penn. Uh, they found some documents in a box in a locked cabinet, or at least a closet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. And they did what they should have done. They immediately called the archives, immediately called the archives, turned them over to the archives, and I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. And uh, there'll be more detail at that time. Republicans, including Donald Trump, criticized the president for keeping those classified records, reminding Biden that his Justice Department and FBI raided Trump's home for committing a similar offense. Louisiana Republican House Majority Leader Steve Scalise responded. For years, when Vice President Biden left office, it looks like he took classified documents with him, and he was very critical of President Trump. By the way, the only person that has the constitutional ability to declassify any documents is the President of the United States, not the Vice President. So if then-Vice President Biden took classified documents with him and held them for years, and criticized President, former President Trump during that same time that he had those classified documents, and only after it was uncovered did he turn them back. I wonder why the press isn't asking the same questions of him as vice president taking classified documents that they were asking President Trump. A Trump-appointed U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, John Lausch, is investigating for the DOJ. Well, up next, 55 to 60 years later, who is responsible for the assassinations of President John F. Kennedy and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Why our next guest believes it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald or James Earl Ray. Just before Christmas, the U.S. National Archives released more than 13,000 documents relating to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. No big bombshell revelations are expected there, but many of those who've investigated this for years are more concerned about the 5,000 documents that the Biden administration did not release. Why, nearly 60 years later, is information still kept hidden? Well, joining us is veteran television anchor and president of the Save America's Freedom Foundation, Mike Hambrick. Mr. Hambrick is author of the fictional thriller Memphis, 
Rock DJ uncovers conspiracy behind MLK Jr. assassination. So, Mike, it's good to talk with you. Why isn't the Biden administration releasing all the JFK assassination files? My opinion is, is because it, it's it's the control of information that a socialist government usually tries to impose, and uh, there's certain information that the government does not want us to be aware of. And I think it's because there was a government conspiracy behind the assassination of JFK, as was there a government conspiracy involved in the assassination of MLK as well in 1968 on April 4th. It's a government conspiracy they don't want us to know about. Well, you've done some research on both of these, but uh, back to JFK, who do you think was responsible and do you believe it was a soft coup d'etat? I think it was it was the military-industrial complex that was involved in that. There were four assassinations, as you know, Gary, in the 60s, JFK, Malcolm X, MLK, and Robert Kennedy, and they all had several things in common. They were great orators, they could move public opinion, they were internationally known figures, and they all opposed the Vietnam War. And it's the old adage of follow the money. The industrial military complex did not want that war to end. Too much money was being made by it. And those that stood in the way of that or threatened that uh, that flow of money to the military industrial complex were just simply done away with. That's what our government, I believe, did and was responsible for. And that's why these unclassified documents are not being released. They don't want us to know the particulars of that, and they're hoping that the next news cycle will move on past that, and people will forget it, and it won't be a big deal until the next time it rolls around. Pushing the can forward is the idea. Well, here we are in 2023, and more Americans now believe there's an unelected government, a deep state of bureaucrats, along with members, as you mentioned, of the defense and intelligence communities, who actually control the government and direct policy. Now, here's a warning about that from President Eisenhower in his farewell address delivered to the nation on January 17, 1961. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Your thoughts on Eisenhower's warning about the deep state and now the politicization of the FBI 60 years later. Well, I think President Eisenhower was very prophetic. Uh, we are uh, and have been threatened by the power of the military-industrial complex, the deep state. But I think it's all part of a larger problem, Gary. I think that we have been involved since the early 1900s in this country in a, uh, a socialist revolution, not your typical European socialist uh, revolution that was bloody and took control and nationalized businesses and all of that. It is a slow but patient and methodical revolution that has been carried out by some very committed, smart, capable people, and it's an intellectual, political, spiritual, and cultural revolution. We have lost that battle. A counter-revolution is now necessary. And you talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, you wrote a fictional account of his assassination. Is truth stranger than fiction? What do you believe actually happened there? And are there MLK Jr. assassination files that still need to be released to the public? What's the truth? I believe 
I believe that there are files that still need to be released. And the assassination, the conspiracy, Gary, brought together a, a disparate group of people who ordinarily would not have been in concert on anything with each other. And it ranges from the the uh, FBI, the CIA, military intelligence, the Dixie Mafia, the KKK, the corrupt uh, racist uh, local government in Memphis and mem members of the Memphis Police Department and uh, Carlos Marcello's uh, mob out of New Orleans. They were all brought together for one single purpose, and that was the assassination of Martin Luther King. And they were successful in doing that. And I believe that James Earl Ray was set up as a patsy. He was not the man who pulled the trigger. He was not involved in it at all in that regard. He was a patsy and was utilized and set up a year in advance of the assassination on uh, April 4th, 1968. You and I are old enough to remember the results after his assassination. Uh, there were riots. So did they want a race war? No, I don't think that, well, there were, as I say, the, the disparate groups were brought together. There were people who were racist who wanted to get rid of Martin Luther King because of his power and influence in the civil rights movement. But there were also those in the government and the military-industrial complex that went as high as, I believe, actually Lyndon Johnson, but certainly uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who had been monitoring King since the 1950s and had labeled him as the single most dangerous member of the black race in America, and he labeled him as a communist. Uh, so th they all had different reasons for wanting King uh, to, to die but they all came together over the single purpose of getting that done. The other reason that the establishment, Hoover and, and Washington, wanted King dead was that he had also planned a month after he was assassinated, there was a planned march on Washington where he was bringing together 500,000 people, estimated to be, on the mall in Washington to set up a tent city to protest uh, it was the Poor People's March to protest all the money that was being spent on the war in Vietnam by the government and taking away money from social programs that impacted minorities in America. That was another reason that King uh, uh, was killed as well, because the establishment in Washington could not stand the idea of 500,000 people camped on the mall in Washington indefinitely. That was just not acceptable. Okay, Mike Hambrick, thank you for sharing your time and insights with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Gary. I appreciate it. Thank you. As college students across America return to campus at the start of this new year, what are they returning to? LGBTQ advocacy and anti-Christian bias may be the new norm. Well, here to explain is campus reform correspondent at Penn State University, Kale Agunbor. Kale, first tell us what you found late last fall at Dartmouth College, an anti-Catholic drag show? Yes, yes. Of, of, all, of all places, Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, it was quite bizarre. There was a drag show attended by at least 100 students that featured a nun that was topless. Uh, what's so bizarre about this is nuns, of all people, like, why would people offend that kind of person? Not only that, nuns are supposed to be women. And the fact that a man is dressed up as a nun is quite disrespectful to the Christian faith, especially to Catholics. Yeah, the whole thing's quite disturbing, even more disturbing was a pre-Christmas musical at Harvard University called Iscariot. 
which feature, uh, featured an Asian female portraying a gay Judas who's in love with Jesus. Now, one meme for cast auditions described it as Jesus having his, quote, gay awakening. Well, here's a short clip from the musical's trailer. This is executive producer Sophie Kim explaining one purpose of the Harvard student production. What does it feel like when you're trying to figure out what it means to be queer, what it means to be Asian American? My only vice is Jesus Christ. Okay, Kale, tell us more. What do you think about this one? This was really bizarre. Um, even though there was a lot of backlash from a lot of national news outlets when this play was first uh, announced, the play still did end up happening from December 1st to December 4th. It was just really crazy that the administration put up with this, this anti-Christian bias. I really doubt that this would have been allowed for example, in, in the religion of Islam, if there was a Muhammad play or in, for example, Hinduism. But for some reason, Christianity is always on the table when it comes to prude jokes and ridicule, which is really disheartening to see um, on college campuses. Yeah, and, and Harvard was originally a, a Christian university. It was founded as a Christian university by Christians. And uh, now we have the first transgender, a biological male, that's been accepted into the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority at the University of Wyoming. So tell us about that one, and do you think we're seeing a trend on campus? There's definitely a trend. Um, by far, this is one of the craziest stories that I've heard in a while. I, I was brought up to believe that females belonged in sororities and men belonged in fraternities, but apparently that is no longer the case, especially in the 21st century. This university's uh, chapter allowed for a biological man not only to join the sorority, but to house with the females, which is just a reflection of the trend that biological men are invading women's spaces, places that women are supposed to feel safe with each other, um, are, are now being invaded by people who are not women, um, very obviously. And this is not only on college campuses, this is definitely all across the nation, but it's the fact that this was allowed to happen. Um, we shouldn't even be talking about this right now. Hopefully backlash from coverage like this will shine a light on it for the American people. Well, and I guess someone who uh, someone who had a table, was it a student that had a table at the student union or something, uh, was denied uh, having this table now in the future because uh, he actually referred to this transgender as a he rather than a she, something like that. Right. So not only are our beliefs being infringed upon, our speech is being infringed upon. This is not even a matter of free speech. This is a matter of the truth. We're not even allowed to say what is right in front of our eyes uh, for the sake of offending people when that should not be our goal. Our goal should be the truth. And more importantly, um, keeping people safe, especially women in these spaces. Okay, let's move from the West to the South now. I know last fall we told our viewers about how a Christian was denied a seat on a student government board after she quoted the Bible. But even students at Christian institutions may face resistance when attempting to put their faith in action. I guess last fall in North Carolina, the director of student activities at Campbell University initially told uh, pro-life students that they could not travel to Raleigh to counsel women outside an abortion clinic there. Now, this is a Baptist college. What, what was the concern? Why did the college finally allow them to go? This is a really bizarre uh, situation from the beginning. Like you said, this is a Baptist college. Apparently, the administration, after facing backlash because this was a news story, uh, decided to change their mind on letting the students attend this pro-life counseling. But this is not what's supposed to have happened in the first place. Same thing with the University of Houston student that was eventually allowed to serve on their student government. It just shows that when students have conservative opinions, 
pro-life opinions or Christian opinions, we have to put forth an extra, an extra foot. We have to put forth more effort to get the same results because we are not being treated equally on college campuses by our fellow students or even by faculty and administration. Yeah, I mean, they, they will, it shows that they will back down, right? Or sometimes they'll back down if enough pressure is put on. Finally, I know you're a Nittany Lion. Any woke craziness on campus at Penn State? I will say, compared to a lot of the other schools, it's quite mild. Um, I am blessed that there is, I guess, a higher Catholic population, so it's not as common, religious intolerance. But at the same time, there is a general consensus among Christians on campus that we can't espouse our views on, for example, traditional marriage or, or gender and sexuality just because we know that there will be backlash and we will not be backed up by the administration. Yeah, I, I saw one story where a professor there actually urged his students to uh, uh, view gay porn if they're heterosexual because we all got to get in touch with our feelings, I guess. Uh, Kali Agunbor, a campus reform correspondent. Thank you for that update, Kali. We appreciate it. Thank you. Just when you thought American society was about to plummet into a woke leftist cultural abyss came this. National Football League players from opposing sides, the San Diego Chargers and Denver Broncos, locking arms in unity with their teammates. As the two number threes from their teams, Russell Wilson and Derwin James, embraced at the 50-yard line. The two men then took a knee in prayer for Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin as he recovered from cardiac arrest. Wasn't that amazing to see, folks? It stands in contrast to the knee-taking we saw in the NFL six years ago, started by Colin Kaepernick. Remember that? Kaepernick said he couldn't stand for the American flag during the national anthem because of racism in America. Like many football fans, I stopped watching televised broadcasts of the NFL games as those protests continued. Unlike the previous knee-taking, scenes like these encourage and unite us especially knowing God answered our prayers for DeMar. Hamlin's heart started beating again, and now he's back in Buffalo at home on the road to a miraculous recovery. To God be the glory. And we as a people learn from this. Our Creator wants us to talk to Him in the good times along with the bad. Yes, God answers prayer, not only for DeMar Hamlin, but all of us who sincerely turn to Him for help. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.